0: Welcome to everyone listening. It's me, Dan, and uh, my guest is Aliana Miller. Um, so, Aliana, um, could you chat a little bit about what life is like for you at the moment? Like, what what's going on with you? What are you? What's taking up most of your time?
1: Um. So, most of my time would probably be being at work at the moment. Um, I work in a hospital with kids with eating disorders so um they're probably about three or four days a week and spending time chatting to kids to the patients on the ward um and then supporting staff i'd say yeah that's probably most of my time
0: yeah okay so you're you're still, would you consider yourself sort of like, I guess that's a, still a, a key worker. It's someone who is is on the front line still, just in a different way than um, sort of doctors and nurses that we're more aware of. Yeah. So, yeah. and how are you finding that at the moment in terms of uh, at work? Do you, do you see much differences in the way um, you're having to work compared to normal? at the moment
1: um so we've got quite a few staff members who are in isolation or have people in their family who are catching symptoms so they then have to go into they have to be off of the ward uh, for 14 days or seven days depending on their situation yeah so it just means i then need to kind of make sure i'm covering staffing and make sure that i'm keeping an eye on who's gone off on what day and when they can come back um because i think a lot of people are getting bored at home and not wanting to stay off for the 14 days especially if they're starting to feel better or not showing any symptoms right but we just have to make sure we're kind of keeping the wards as safe as possible
0: yeah yeah that makes sense and are you like, at work, is, is there much in terms of, like, uh, PPE or sort of social distancing and things like that, or is that just difficult in general with the type of type of role it is?
1: I think social distancing is a bit tough just because we're all – there's so many of us working on the wards um, and needing to be there for the patients, and the patients are all so close as well, so they're constantly, like, hugging, and it's like – a massive household of people um but generally we're trying to be pretty smart about things especially if there is a lot of patient and staff contact we'll try and be you like try and use PPE and using gloves masks aprons
0: what, um what's the sort of age range for the people you're dealing with
1: they are 8 to 18
0: okay so it's yeah, so it's all children then?
1: Yes.
0: Okay. And I, I guess that must make it harder then to... Um, yeah, it, if you were trying to do any sort of social distancing, I guess uh, dealing with children is, is a difficult thing to to enforce any sort of social distancing as well.
1: Yeah, definitely. They're all very close as well. They like to be... They're all in each other's space. It's not like a huge hospital so you know they'll be hanging out on the sofas together and watching movies and stuff and you always end up kind of snuggling up to the other patients around you it's kind of what they end up doing so
0: okay okay um well let's go let's go back a little bit um what what sort of led you to do this job um and what what uh things have you done before um you took on this role
1: Um, So I went to uni and did youth studies and I kind of went for that degree because I grew up with lots of younger siblings and cousins and I loved kind of being the, I guess, the entertainer, the babysitter, the one who kind of kept them all occupied and I always knew I wanted a job with young people, I just didn't know what I wanted to do. Mm. And when I came out of uni, I got into youth work and really enjoyed that. Doing like activities and clubs and talking to kids about anything they really want to talk about.
0: So the sort of youth work you were doing, was it quite um, intensive in terms of their lives? Or like you're saying, is it is it was it more just the clubs and sort of fun stuff? Like how did that, what sort of youth work, how would you describe it? The sort of youth work you were doing at that time?
1: It was a bit of a mix, like a lot of the time it's kind of the fun stuff and like doing activities and doing sports and cooking and like games and all those kinds of things with people. Um, But because you see them so regularly, you end up building these relationships up with them and uh, they, you know, you build this kind of type of trust with them and they open up to you about things that are going on in their life or any issues, any concerns so it was it was very definitely um like the kind of things that you might be talking to them about and the things you might be supporting them with
0: yeah and how how did in this first sort of role you had um obviously you know it might be difficult to remember um to back then but was there any um lessons and big things that stand out that you learned from um obviously studying the more theory side of it at, at uni um and then and then going to a practical application of it was there any things that that really stood out that you that um opened your eyes to or um changed your mind in some way about how what it's like sort of working with young people
1: Um, I think a thing that I struggled with quite a lot at the beginning was finding that boundary between being their friend and being someone who works with them. Right. Because you kind of want to, you don't want to be like a mother figure or like someone who's sort of being authoritarian with them.
0: Mm.
1: But there's times when you need to kind of show that there are boundaries and show that. They can't be acting in certain ways. Um, so some like I'd find I'd build up these friendships with them and then they might start playing up. And if I told them, you know, you can't be doing this or you need to be acting in this way, or that's not appropriate, they might not listen because they're just thinking, well, you're just a friend telling me what to do. And yeah. So I think like over time you start to build up these boundaries and kind of show to them that yes you can be someone that they can depend on and talk to and rely on but you kind of need to build up this like level of respect from both sides
0: yeah um and I mean can you talk a bit more about sort of the importance of boundaries with young people um because I know that my own experience with youth work that was very similar I I found that I was, I don't know, consciously or subconsciously just trying to be their friends and get on with them and build a good relationship, which is, a, you know, especially the relationship part of it is an important part. But, yeah, the boundary side of it, I didn't see the importance of setting clear rules. It felt a bit too strict for me and too too stoic or whatever. Um, Mm -hmm. What did you find with that sort of boundary side of it that really, really benefited the youth work and actually then ultimately benefited the people you were you were dealing with the young people you were dealing with
1: yeah I think it was it's it's I guess there's just so many different examples and situations and um, there were situations where the youths themselves are putting themselves into dangerous situations mm. and I had to then think about how I'm responsible for them in this situation so I need to kind of if anything does happen it will end up falling back onto me or into my company so um that could be an example or then there are also situations where um they I don't know that I guess sometimes they talk about things that they've done which weren't I think there's a specific example I can think of. That's fine. I think what it is, is that they'll just kind of, they'll act in a certain way and kind of be very comfortable and friendly with you and you'll sort of build this trust and relationship with them. And then they might suddenly turn and start kind of acting with you like how they would their friends. So, you know, like play fighting or and taking that anger out on you and that's mm. when you kind of have to just sort of show to them that yes you are there for them to kind of offload on but there's ways to control it and ways to use those people around you
0: and in, in your experience do you think that was quite common around among um other sort of people that are new to youth work do you think it was uh quite a common thing that they would come in with this sort of uh friendship um attitude and then that would change or do you think everyone sort of had very different styles sort of going in um what was your what have been your sort of experience with either people you studied with or seeing other youth workers sort of come in
1: i think it 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 was quite common that way definitely Mm. um i think for some people they go in quite um, author- authoritarian straight away it's almost like okay I'm I'm the boss and these are the rules and this is how it has to be whereas you've got other people who kind of you start to learn better ways of doing it so you kind of go into it and instead of making a load of rules that the young people need to follow you kind of make these rules with the young people so that they kind of they're coming up with the ground rules of the project and what they how they feel about it And then when you, if they do break them, you can kind of go back to the fact that they were the ones who came up with the rules.
0: Mm.
1: So, um, it's almost like, this is how, this is something you came up with. This is a project that's important to you. This is your project. So these are the reasons you came up the rules to respect it. So you need to kind of follow that and follow those rules that you've kind of come up with yourself.
0: Cool and I mean for some people I guess um, it could depending on the person it could easily knock them back if they have to learn this lesson about youth work and um, that there I guess needs to be a sort of boundary side to it there needs to be um, a stricter side to to youth work um, but that obviously didn't knock you back to the point where you were you were done with it so what what do you think keeps you, kept you going and and what kept the passion alive and, and you wanted to continue doing it?
1: Um, I think it's the fact that with jobs with young people, it's almost that you are going to constantly grow and adapt and learn because everything's changing so much. Like interests that young people are into, the things that they do are so different. So you, it's almost like you have to adapt and learn yourself because otherwise you're not going to keep up with the things that that they love to do and things that they believe in and the things that they know, like even on a computer, there'll be things that young people know a lot more than what I do. Mm. Um, So I think it's that it's keeping those, the passions. And I find like when I talk to young people, I kind of get an energy off of them and mm. it's almost that that like i i feel that excitement and drive and like wanting to make a difference to them and help them to grow and learn and follow their dreams and i think that's it's almost that that's where the passion comes from just kind of interacting and finding that connection i think that's a big challenge as well because Mm. some people they just they might not want to interact with you or they might not want to talk to you and that's fine but then it's just finding another way that you can connect to them
0: yeah yeah and do you like when you when you finished that um job or when what where did you sort of move from there was was it straight into the one you're doing now or did you do uh, other stuff in between
1: so I got a job with a housing association. I was working with young people who were homeless. They were aged 16 to 24. And for whatever reason, they weren't living at home anymore. And the place that I worked at was a youth hostel where they could come and live for, I think it was 18 months.
0: Okay. Um.
1: Yeah. And we just kind of, taught them about independent living and um, respecting neighbors and I guess like looking at what kind of what kind of things they were interested in what they wanted to do it might be looking at getting them a job or getting them back into education
0: so what what did you find that was a lot of the reasons that, that these young people were homeless
1: I think a lot of the time it was family breakdown. Right, yeah. Um it could be that the parents were divorced and the mother had a new partner and maybe that partner didn't like that there was a teenage child living there. Um it but it, it was a variety of things. Sometimes it could be drugs, sometimes it, a lot of it was mental health issues. Right. Um, And I think as well when you're going through your late teens, you're kind of going through lots of stages. You're changing a lot. You're finding different things that you're interested in. You're going through rebellious stages. Um, And it's almost that it could be that they were kicked out or it could be that they just left of their own accord. They couldn't be, didn't want to live there anymore.
0: So I guess this, that role would have been a lot more intense than the previous one. Yeah. Yeah. Because I guess you're dealing a lot more head on with uh, these serious issues. Yeah. Hmm. So did that, did that change your, or did it uh, uh, some way alter or change your perceptions on homelessness? Or did, did you learn more about homelessness in general? doing that job
1: yeah I think it did change my my views a little bit because like when you see homeless people you don't always think about what their story is and how they got there um but working with people who are homeless um you get to learn about them and find out what their story is and find out um what's gotten them to the stage that they're at in their life so yeah, I think I definitely it made me want to interact with homeless people more on the streets, mm. like actually find out a bit more um, about them.
0: How do you how do you approach that? How do you sort of um, yeah? What's your personal way of uh, of talking to sort of homeless people on the streets? I know some people they they that they might be really scared of homeless people in general, or they might find it really difficult and they or they they don't want to give anything to them at all in terms of even their time um because they might they might it might be a a combination of fear and disgust and and then there's other people who really want to interact and I just don't really know how um how what what do you usually do or what have you found works best for you if you do feel you want to interact with um homeless people when you come across them?
1: Um, I mean, I guess generally I find when people speak to me, I just try and be very open and friendly back. Mm. I mean, generally when homeless people speak to you, they're asking for money or something. Mm. And I guess with most people, myself included, you don't generally carry a lot of money around with you anymore. Um, but I know in the past I've kind of walked past people and then sort of gone back. Okay. It's almost like they've stuck in my head and I've just been like, no, I want to. I want to do something or I might pop into a shop and buy like a sandwich or a hot drink or something. Mm. I know once I offered someone a sandwich and he just looked at me like, no, I don't want that. <laughs> i just like, oh, man.
0: <laughs> Gluten intolerant, maybe.
1: <laughs> maybe. That could have been it.
0: Could have gone with maybe the sushi. a
1: vegetarian. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so... Yeah, but then it, what was kind of nice is I ran into someone else a bit later and I I sort of timidly offered my sandwich and he was just like, "Yeah, I'll take that."
0: <laughs> and you're just known as sandwich lady on that street now. <laughs>
1: <That's sad. laughs> oh man, it's the woman that brings sandwiches. I It's
0: not even the good M&S stuff, it's just uh, the shop in the <laughs> The reduced stuff from Tesco. <laughs> <laughs> and um it's a difficult one, isn't it? I think um, I think there's this general unease with um, seeing homelessness. And I think on the whole, uh, people really want to help and want to do something, but it's just this, because uh, it's such a complicated issue. Um, yeah. And then in the moment, it becomes, I know from my own experience, uh, I've gone on a journey of sort of how I deal with seeing homeless people, because especially... Uh, places like London um, and any sort of big cities um, in most places in the world there's going to be some form of homelessness and you can't you can't sit and chat to everyone you can't buy everyone a sandwich it's it's a very difficult thing to get your head around Mm -hmm. Um, and you can't even be uh, empathetic to every person Um, you know your day would be filled with Trying to be empathetic to every homeless person you come across if you just walk down most of the main streets in London. So it, it is it's a really difficult thing, I think, for people to to even get their head around.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: Um I think with with me, I felt like I changed my tack over the years. I started to I was given money a lot, and then I came across M- more and more sort of homeless people that were um asking for money and, and things like that but also ones that were wanting me to buy them alcohol and and i I felt that just for me personally um and I don't give money out to homeless directly anymore um homeless mm-hmm. people or yeah people I see on the street or are sleeping rough um like you said I offered to buy them a, a sandwich um or you know get them any sort of food or whatever. Um, um, or, or I just, you know, um, give to a, a homeless charity. I think if you sort of, again, this is just my perspective, if you collect all the the money that you were going to give out to um, homeless people on the street directly and, and save that up and then give it to, to a homeless charity, I feel like there's more chance of it being used to benefit them um did you find did you find sort of on that point did you find that difficult with um when you were working with uh, young people that were homeless did you find um the blame game difficult and the sort of stigma attached to you know uh young people for example if if a young person who uh hasn't you know on the face of it done anything wrong it's been kicked out of their house um and it's a very it, on the surface it seems like a very innocent situation and uh, but when uh, a young person's involved with drugs and alcohol and gangs i can imagine people are a lot less inclined to offer empathy and there's a lot more stigma attached because it's almost like it's it's your fault you know you're the one involved in drugs did you find find that at all that sort of um blame and stigma attached to some of the um the young homeless people
1: um i think for us the people who are working with them no just because we yeah. we're there to to not have any blame on to kind of be there for any of them and i guess for me personally i just feel that even if they are either dealing drugs or involved in drugs in any way Um, there's a reason that they're at that stage in their life and it's not it's not so I mean it's very easy to be judgmental and just kind of look at things and just think how like why why would you go down that route and this is obviously it's easier to do this why don't you do this instead Mm. but when you're it's hard to know what it's like when you're actually in that situation and
0: yeah
1: I think the drug industry it's very easy to kind of it's an easy way to make money Mm. and for some people it's almost like it's a way out of the situation that they're in and it's an easy easy way out from their perspective yeah it might be illegal yeah there might be repercussions when they're caught but they don't think about those things it's almost like I'll deal with that if it comes to that
0: yeah and especially if some people, I think it's easy to see it through the lens of your own life. You know, if you've, if you've grown up in um, a much more privileged position or a position where your family life and your, your general life is just a lot more stable, then the prospect of just switching to a, a life of drugs and, and gangs seems just like a, uh, a silly choice. Whereas, actually, if you were to walk in these young people's shoes from birth and actually what they've been through. Um, mm. It's it's very difficult to, to say that you would do any any different.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: Yeah. And um, I think one thing I learned from youth work I, I did was um, it was part of the training as well. They sort of said, you've got to remember that when some young people are violent or when they um or when they don't respond to you being kind or being genuinely helping them is because they've might have come from a background where they don't see that and everything to them is a battle everything to them they have to fight for you know whether it's you know the basics like food or attention they have to battle to get it um and then suddenly if they're thrust into an environment where people are showing them more love and trying to help them, it just they can't read it as that because they've gone through such a long time of just um yeah, just, just fighting and having people to fight against.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's almost like their learned reaction.
0: Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Um and what do you do like um when you're when you're going through a job like that and I guess uh, ties in with the job now it's Mm -hmm. it can be a very difficult days I imagine
1: yeah definitely it can be
0: and how how do you sort of find uh ways to uh relax or to to take yourself away from the job and yeah to not uh to try and prevent yourself from from getting too caught up um and and letting it sort of go into your personal life too much what have you found sort of over the years you you do that helps that
1: um I think I guess like the way that I unwind a lot of the time is just kind of being around family and kind of it might be like offloading with family or it might just be talking about anything with family just like yeah just kind of talking about your day but then it could also be just talking about the news or talking about something fun someone did that day um i think as well like having a close knit of friends around too it's just nice to kind of go go out and not have to think about work at all it's Mm. funny like you might go out with people from work and all you kind of talk about is work because that's the connection that you have but like having friends and family outside of it just helps that create that distance I guess um it's nice as well to like have an activity to do I enjoy doing yoga and craft maga Mm. um so it's nice, like, kind of keeping active. And it's sometimes hard to find the motivation to do things. But you always know that afterwards you're going to feel great. So that kind of drives you on where you're like, come on, like, get up. Let's do this. Yeah. Um, and I just love going out dancing as well. So
0: Nice. Nice. Just generally just dancing in the street to no music. Yeah. Or... <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: Just walking along the street. Digging <laughs> <thugying> away
0: <laughs> nice so what when you say dancing do you mean like dance classes or just like going out to clubs or, or it'd what?
1: be like bars and clubs yeah and just dancing to music nice.
0: just enjoying
1: enjoying yourself <laughs> feeling the music
0: do you have like a if there was like a club with uh, a room for every type of music which uh which room would you be in
1: probably pop <laughs> That whole popular madness where you can like sing along and just go crazy. I do love a bit of R and B as well.
0: Nice, nice. <laughs> you can sort of switch between.
1: Yeah, that's it. <laughs> and you know, old school cheesy. I mean, I'm I'm, I'm quite. I like a lot of different music.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. A combo of the singing and the dancing. Exactly. Like <laughs> mix it up. Maybe it's another career. Oh, maybe. <laughs> or maybe it's good that the music drowns you out, I don't know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Could be true. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so what is Kraft Magar for anyone who doesn't know? You just sort of uh sort of threw that away. Oh craft Magar and uh <laughs> so... know, everything. <laughs> <laughs> uh
1: so Kraft Magar is a type of self-defense. Um it's taught to the Israeli army. Um and it just kind of involves a lot of things like how to protect yourself in situations um so it might be that it might be that someone's coming up and attacking you and it could just be that they're coming to start a fight with you um and how to react in those kind of situations it might be that they have a weapon a knife or a gun or a bat and what you would do to prevent yourself or anyone else from
0: getting hurt so now i guess do you feel a lot more um not that you didn't before but do you feel uh more ready when you're out and about or more sort of capable of defending yourself when you're when you're out there singing your head off and dancing
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah i guess i do it's it brings like some type of security i guess when you're out and about and you might be in like a dark street or something and i think just i've never luckily i've never had to use anything at all but i think it just it just gives you that bit of confidence as well i guess when you're in certain situations
0: yeah and i guess some of the craft magar moves you could bring into your dancing as well
1: <laughs> of course <laughs>
0: <laughs> so
1: like a quick kick here and yeah. a little like punch there and then a little defend and
0: well to be honest it is a it is a problem when you're out dancing like finding space in a crowded club so I guess <laughs> that is one method of just making your own little dance floor
1: <laughs> i find that elbows work well as well it's quite pointy
0: dirty elbows to the ribs <laughs> <laughs> nice okay so you sing and you dance you kick people um <laughs> definitely variety um yeah I think that sure. that's something I know about you in general is you're probably one of the most apart from the things you've mentioned you you seem to have a, a large variety of of activities that you like to do um mm. every birthday that you have or any birthdays you go to of any of your friends seems to be always something <laughs> something different um, crazy. yeah yeah <laughs> So that's cool. Um and uh yeah, I mean, obviously the people closest to you and people you see every day would notice it more, but it you you seem to deal with from my uh interactions with you, you seem to deal with um it well in terms in terms of, you know, taking yourself away from work and and engrossing yourself in something that, you know, brings you joy and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: I think I guess it all kind of stemmed from like working when I was at uni I was volunteering at Childline as well
0: Oh, okay. um
1: so it was it was hard to find that distance when I was there it was very easy to come home from a shift and just kind of take everything home with you mm. um and they had like a, an amazing way of dealing with things at at Childline where they'd kind of do a brief at the beginning and then a debrief at the end and you could kind of talk about anything. And they always said like if you need to call you can. And initially I wasn't really using that. Like in the debriefs, I was quiet and I didn't really know what to say. And it was all like a bit much and they'd get on top of you. And then you'd go home and just take it all home with you and feel low and you didn't know why. Um but after a bit I started using that support system more. Um, and it really helps, especially when you're dealing with other people's problems and issues and concerns. Um, it helps to just kind of offload them and like find that other people had had similar things that they were trying to deal with and cope with and they find different ways of managing it. Um, and I, I just found as well, make my relationships healthier at home as well. Like rather than bringing everything home with you, just like letting it all go and releasing it in your own way. Mm. Um, it might be going for a drive after your shift and just kind of taking a longer journey home. And mm. uh, Then, yeah, just finding that when you do get back, you can just focus on the things that you want to do for yourself and for your family and for your friends and things that you enjoy other yeah. than thinking of all those things that bring you concern or worry or make you feel stressed
0: yeah that's great actually I mean it's brilliant that you've you had that um early on and um you know you learned you learned that early on um mm-hmm. I guess that's one of the good things about um uh, getting experience while you're studying is there's lots of things like that that you might not you know have learned for for a long time but actually just the very simple thing of, of debriefing after a shift with a staff member or, or like you say just having that time we're going on a drive or whatever it is just making sure you have that time to process it all to to let it out to whatever you need to do um yeah yeah, I I imagine. I mean, would you struggle now if you didn't if you didn't have that? If you didn't um, do well, like with the job you're doing now, do you, do you still find that you you do that in some way at the end of the shifts that are most difficult? Yeah, mm.
1: yeah. Well, I tr- I try to. I mean, I found that even at the beginning when I started working at the hospital that there wasn't that debrief that we would have at other places and I kind of said that to the company that I think it would be really useful but I think what happens at the end of a shift is people are just like I want to go I want to get out of here like mm. enough work I've been here for an 11 and a half hour shift I'm out kind of thing yeah so I think it's then looking at other ways of coping like they they have like a support team and ways that you you can things that you can use and people you can talk to. Um and I guess like over time you find you become desensitized to things and you can cope with things a lot better but it's just it's having having that grounding and that original way of dealing with things helped definitely because it made me recognize those feelings and made me think okay hold on I need to do something for me for a minute
0: yeah yeah so you, so did you struggle at the start a little bit in terms of the the way you had been doing things before in terms of the debrief and did
1: yeah, you struggle to definitely. find your feet?
0: Right, yeah. With yeah. Hmm. Okay. Um so I guess now could we go on to a little bit about the job you're doing now? Um um what's what's sort of like your your day to day? What 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 are the Challenges and what are the the things you're you're generally doing with with these young people that are is it is it all anorexia patients that you're dealing with?
1: Yeah, I mean they've all got an eating disorder of some sort, and most of, for most of them it is anorexia or bulimia.
0: Oh, okay, okay.
1: Um, so initially my job there was working on the wards as a therapeutic care worker, so I would be with the patients every day um or every shift I was in um they have like quite a strict routine of what they do each day and um, they've got strict meal times which are protected times when um other staff shouldn't be kind of coming in and out of the dining room and we don't really talk to their parents during those times because it's specific to supporting them with their eating and helping them to get through that time
0: so what what is that that you know um what why does that have to be so uh i know it might seem like an obvious question but why is that so strict and why is it so uh i guess controlled that eating time
1: so their issues are generally around eating and not wanting to eat right um so it's about keeping those times just focused on eating and just I mean we can talk to them about other things but the support is there to help them get through the meal and they need to it needs to be strict because otherwise there'll be different rules for different people and Mm. it's to show to them like no this is breakfast time so this is the time that you need to eat your breakfast Mm. and I guess you can kind of relate it to if they were back home as well because they do have a strict timetable in regards to school mm. um so it's almost like if you don't have your breakfast now then you're not going to ha- be able to have any food until your break which will be half past 10 or something so yeah it's a long time to go without
0: and even when they become adults they're gonna you know everyone most people have got some sort of routine you know even when you you start work you know you have to you will usually you have breakfast before work and then for some people, there might be a set lunchtime where you, you can go out yeah. and get some food and, and then, obviously, you um, go back and have dinner in the evening. So I guess for a lot of people, a lot of adults, there is a semi-strict time when they can eat throughout the day. Um, mm-hmm. So I guess it is good, just in general, for them to have that. Um, but, obviously, with these young people, it's a lot more important. So what what would happen if they... if um you youth workers weren't in the room if they were just freely there with the meals what what sort of things would would be happening what, what where do you you as youth workers need to be jumping in
1: so it might be that they'll just sit there and not be doing anything at all for you aren't there. they'll just sit there
0: um and just just refusing not eat, basically
1: refusing to eat i mean a lot of them might end up looking at each other which can make the ones who are eating feel self-conscious right
0: um is that is that quite a common thing then they don't they don't like to be watched while they're eating
1: generally yeah yeah Yeah. because they feel like they're being judged a lot of it is to do with like how they feel about themselves and they already feel generally they already feel bad that they're eating right and that they shouldn't be eating. So they have- and then when someone's looking at them, it's like, oh, well now they're judging me as well as I'm judging myself.
0: So they 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 almost have like a physical reaction to eating, almost like the opposite, I guess of I guess of what's natural. Um, mm-hmm. They so they they actually yeah the the act of eating for them is really repulsive, or they just they just don't enjoy it at all. Yeah. And that's so that's just well, a lot of it's down to self consciousness, is it? And body image, or
1: yeah, a lot of it can be to do with that. Um, and not wanting to get fat. Um, some it can come from in the past when people have said things to them, like called them fat, or said that they need to lose weight. Um, some it might just be that they don't have control of something in their life and something that they can control quite easily is what they're putting into their body. Mm, so
0: that's that's an interesting one. Um mm. I guess this whole idea of control. Um yeah. So they they feel that by not eating then or you know, yeah, not eating they can really have that control over their bodies and, and how they look and how they feel. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. Um so what what else do would they do, I guess, um, apart from just not eating, what what other behaviours do they sort of show?
1: Um, so they might be splitting the food, so separating if they've got a burger, for example, they might kind of open it all up and just eat try and eat everything separate. Or breaking things really small so if they've got like a freddo bar they'll like break all little pieces off of it rather so it makes it almost as though it's easier to manage in their eyes because it's such tiny pieces
0: is that is mm. that something that you try to prevent or is that
1: yeah so that's kind of a rule that we have that they can't be separating their food they can't be splitting things up cutting things unnecessarily
0: so what's the what's the reason for that
1: it's an anorexic behaviour that they're showing. Right. So, um, I guess you just kind of relate it a bit to how someone would normally eat something. So you can, it's hard to say normal, but yeah, like for example, if there's a sandwich, you'd cut it in half, um, and give it to them. You know, you've got two halves to eat, kind of thing. Mm. Um, but then if they start kind of pulling the sandwich apart, that's when you need to tell them, no, they can't be doing that. Um, and that it all needs to be eaten together. Yeah. It's, again, it's to do with control. Um, I think as well, it can be to do with they feel they can manage it better if it's in. If it's separated or it might as well be that they want to eat each thing separate so they want the bread separate from the, the filling of the sandwich
0: Mm. i guess Um, i guess for um people that know about it and have dealt with them for a long time i guess is it sort of like a a bit of a slippery slope like if you start to let them pull the food apart because in its in itself it doesn't seem like that bad you know um just on the face of it it's if it helps them eat the meal, then that's great. But mm-hmm. is it because of like that sort of slippery slope, they start to get this, you know, um, they start to, like you say, have that control. And then if they can pull their food apart, then maybe they'll elongate how long they eat it. And then, mm-hmm. you know, the meal time's over. So they've only eaten like a, a fraction of the food on their plate. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Um, And what... uh, Um, Sorry, carry on. I
1: was just going to say, there's other behaviours as well that we look out for. So it might be things like um, jiggling at the table where they're kind of bouncing their legs up and down. Um, And that's something that someone might do when they're almost like they're focusing or even if they're unfocused, they're trying to think of something and you might jiggle your leg to try and get that thing to come back to your mind. Um, But... For them, it might be that they're kind of trying to tense their body or trying to lose weight by bouncing their legs up and down. Um, so there's, yeah, there's lots, lots of little things. We've got this like whole kind of list of table rules of things that are allowed and then the reasons why they're not allowed. Um, and they can kind of look at them if they need to at the table, to sort of support them.
0: Mm. So I guess. Um, the children that are in the hospital uh, in this situation, uh, obviously it's a lot more serious for them um, than sort of the average person that uh, doesn't eat very much throughout the day. Or So what, where, where do you think, obviously it's a blurry line and there is no set line, but where do you think the key differences lie in someone who maybe just has you know little food throughout the day or um they try to keep their weight down what when do you think it starts to tip when do you think it becomes a more serious problem and what makes it such a problem for these young people
1: i think it's when their um bmi gets to like a certain level right or their weight percentage gets to a certain level where it's where they're starting to put their organs at risk right that's usually when they end up um being admitted to a hospital um it might be that they've it's almost their heart stopped like for a few of them it has been that they've ended up in hospital and their heart hasn't been able to kind of pump anymore so wow not for all of them but that's Mm -hmm. sometimes like the level it can get to um I think as well when they're at the hospital they might weigh them if they look like they're underweight and then sort of look at their weight they should be and decide
0: then if they need to be admitted to a hospital do you do you find that then it's not just the weight like um it's also then the mindset because i imagine if someone who didn't have an eating disorder um Mm -hmm. realized they were massively underweight and they're putting their health at risk uh, the healthier sort of choice would to be okay well I, I'm I'm gonna start eating more and things but do you find that almost these young people don't care when they come in they 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 don't care whether they're putting their health and their heart and everything else at risk mm-hmm. it's almost more important that they keep the weight down and just stay as skinny as possible is that sort of what you see
1: yeah and I think for some of them as well it's almost like they've given up they're just like well I don't care if my heart stops
0: right yeah
1: some of them as well as is that they don't understand they don't understand what it means for their heart to stop and they don't understand what it means for them to not eat and what consequences that's going to be
0: so who's who's the youngest like what's the youngest age you had come in uh
1: 10 wow yeah
0: yeah um that's yeah um so what what do you find that are some of the reasons that someone that young um, is in this sort of, this mindset?
1: Um, I, sometimes it can be that they've got an older sibling who they're sort of learning from. Right. Um, and because that, like, this this one, for example, she had an older sibling who was 16 and, I think she's then picking up from her things that she does, you know, so um not eating at certain times and doing lots of exercise and taking lots of selfies and you just start picking up behaviours and not really understanding what they're doing and what that's doing to their body. Um I think generally they don't they don't fully understand. Like she came in and she was quite proud of the fact that her heart had stopped at hospital and it had to be restarted and i think it was just again it's like that but do you do you understand what that means kind of thing what would happen if your heart stops then but it's they are all different each of their experiences are different Mm. some of them come from broken families some of them are fostered um some of them just have parents have issues at home some of them have pressures from school Mm. a lot i find come from Um, a background where they might be swimmers or horse riders or cheerleaders and it's it might be that they're getting pressure from their from that sport and their coaches and
0: Mm. and obviously you know majority of coaches you know would never (laughs) would never expect it to go as far as this but maybe do, do you mean sort of like they get into this mindset of of losing weight of of being very body conscious, and then they take that too far, type thing. Yeah. 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 Does it um, change your your perception of like um, some of the stuff we see in the media? Um, in terms of, or just, just you know, social media, otherwise, whatever, where, you know, there's Snapchat filters, which make people thinner. Um, mm-hmm. uh, this sort of uh, plethora of models, male and female, who have this idealised body shape. Um, and for some people, I guess, an unattainable body shape. Um, the has this sort of um, changed the way you look at that sort of media content and the way people are putting themselves out there?
1: Yeah, I think, I mean, it's nice seeing some things where like um, Dove adverts, for example, where they have women of all different shapes and sizes in their adverts. Mm. And it's it is nice to see it's it's rarer and it's becoming more popular I guess um but it is a shame that there is so so much focus on looking a certain way and making yourself look different to how how you do look like there were talks of young girls going into plastic surgeons taking a photo of themselves that they've taken through snapchat and saying I want to look like this and it's almost like it's not it's not a real look it's Mm. like your cheekbones have been forced out and it's not natural at all but for them it's it's this idealistic body image or way to look and I I feel like there's always going to be that comparison thing where you're going Mm. to look at other people as well as looking at people like admiring celebrities and wanting to look like them um but it's just I guess it's all just about educating as Mm. well and I think that's a lot of what we did in youth work too where we just kind of we do a lot of things on self-esteem and looking at the way people look and how everyone can look so different and it's okay to be different
0: yeah yeah yeah, no, it's a good point. And, and even though there's a lot to be concerned about um, and there's a lot of sort of changes that probably need to be made in the way that uh, sort of this idealised image is represented, but in the end, if, if someone is inclined to um, drastically change their body and and basically not care about the health and the sake of body image, you can't... It's as much as you change what's in social media and stuff it, some people will just want to do that anyway um mm-hmm. they'll they'll always be there'll always be uh, skinny people out there to want to be like um yeah so it's yeah uh, you can never you can never stop it by by altering what's what's in the media i guess um, okay um So how are you, how, is, how are things at the moment? How, is, it, is it quite a collection of, um, like, genders? Is it, is it more one or the other? Or
1: It's mostly females. Um, we've got two wards and one's younger, one's older. Um, and on the younger ward we have one male and about ten females. And it's about the same on the older wood as well.
0: Right. So in your experience, it seems to be more of a a female issue. Yeah. Right. Okay. Hmm.
1: Just from the people who are admitted to the hospital. Yeah.
0: Okay. Have you seen um, any sort of inspiring or amazing stories or journeys that any of the young people have gone on um that you've seen once since you've been there have you seen um nice transformations or anything like that
1: yeah definitely like you'll get patients that come at the beginning and i mean they're obviously scared when they first come and some only show like kind of one side of their personality um some just don't know how to deal with the fact that they're going to be away from their family for a little while so they kind of they really struggle um we had one patient who was upstairs away from the other patients because um they were so underweight they needed to be on bed rest and you kind of look at them after maybe six seven eight weeks and they're a interacting with other patients and they're excited and they're energetic and it's really nice to see like the comparison from when they arrived to when they're discharged um and see I mean they write in this little discharge book as well so it's nice to kind of see that they're influencing each other um, and encouraging each other to keep going
0: that's great
1: Mm they have a little leaving circle at the end as well which is really nice where they'll kind of go around the circle and each say something to the patient and generally there's so many so many words of love and congratulations and you're so inspirational and it's it's really nice to see that
0: because they become
1: such a close close close-knit group that it's like a member of the family kind of flying the nest and going out into the real world
0: yeah that's amazing so it can be quite a nurturing environment for them it can be actually really give them a an amazing boost to to carry on keeping up the good practices and keeping healthy
1: yeah i hope so definitely
0: (laughs) Mm, yeah oh that's good Mm. um okay well uh yeah i think We'll probably bring it to a close there. Um, unless there's anything, any other sort of things you'd like to mention or um, things we sort of brushed over that you'd like to talk about a bit more.
1: No, I think that's good. Other than everyone should get to a Craft McGuire class because it's a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> Just and so you... go out dancing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Just so you can kick their ass.
1: <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> i need more um, people competing
0: <laughs> do you like have you got any like uh belts or any like uh i don't mean using a belt but like have you got like <laughs> any uh yeah like awards or what, what what are they
1: called uh we have like grade levels grade, so right. yeah yeah so i've done my p1 and my p2 it goes
0: up to p5 so so p1 and p2 so if you're a level at p2 what sort of celebrity could you take down at p2 i
1: reckon
0: the rock wow okay i'm gonna start with my god this sounds awesome (laughs) (laughs) or is that just the rock like a rock that's in your room or like a rock yeah like a pebble when
1: you're at the beach (laughs) i could take that down (laughs)
0: uh well i mean i would love to see a uh a competition between <laughs> you and i think it would turn very quickly <laughs> nice nice i'll uh i'm still mean to come down and uh and fight you i guess i'm just too yeah. scared to, 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 uh, and, we'll make uh, it happen yeah once this well, coronavirus is over yeah it's a shame it's a shame uh that this coronavirus is on because uh, i would win i would win <laughs> sweet well uh before we uh we end the show um i'll just say to anyone listening uh please feel free to continue this conversation um by commenting with any thoughts you have or contacting me to come on the show yourself um so in this episode we talked about um sort of child development um the the importance of boundaries um the importance of having a debrief or sort of um uh, yeah just calling off after work and leaving work at work as much as possible um, talked about homelessness child homelessness and we talked about uh, anorexia and uh, some of the challenges that come with that Um some of the causes and solutions um, and we also talked about Aliana kicking the rock's ass so that's <laughs> that's the most important one I think
1: could
0: be continued yeah yeah maybe that could be if we ever put this podcast as video then i could use all my money to buy the rock well not buy the rock but hire the rock to come down and we just televise your your fight
1: Nice.
0: okay good good okay as long as we're in agreement uh, okay well thank you very much aliana it's been awesome
1: thank you
0: Dan That was a lot of fun yeah and keep up the good work like you're you're one of the people I'm clapping for every Thursday thank you I
1: appreciate <laughs> that
0: okay well take care
1: Me too
0: bye 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 there's something else I'd like to say to any listeners all three of you this podcast is an ongoing process it's an ongoing experiment I'm trying things out and seeing what works and what doesn't And so any feedback on this or other episodes will be really appreciated. I don't want this podcast to just be for my own enjoyment. The goal is for it to benefit people in some way. And constructive feedback is the best way to know if this goal is being achieved. If I don't know something's rubbish, then I'll just keep producing rubbish. If I don't know something's good, then I'll just stop producing anything good. And also, if you think of anyone that you know that would be a good guest for me to chat to, then please let me know. I would love the opportunity to speak to a wide range of people about an even wider range of subjects. Thank you for taking the time to listen and I hope you continue the conversation. Bye for now.